Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Michael McNutt with Weedy, and welcome to a special best of episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. This week, we are pleased to present our keynote speaker from our May Spring Conference, Dr. Mickey Tripathi, National Coordinator for Health IT. The session was moderated by Weedy CEO and President Charles Steller. We hope you enjoy it. There is uh, so much that uh, ONC uh, has done over the years uh, to advance interoperability and connection and uh, um, uh, allowing um, us uh, as consumers to have a better experience. Uh, Mickey um, has uh, uh, his his quest uh, over the his professional career has been uh, in health IT. Uh, he um, uh, most recently was uh, chief alliance officer for Acadia um, and um, has been instrumental with the Argonaut project, um, uh, which is to accelerate the adoption of fire and a board member of HL7, the Sequoia project, the Commonwealth Health Alliance and the Karen Alliance. He, uh, prior to that, was um, also um, heading up uh, um, a Weedy member uh, in uh, Massachusetts uh, as president and CEO of the Mass eHealth Collaborative um, and uh, uh, founding president and CEO of the Indiana Health Information Exchange. Uh, uh, and so with that, uh, Mickey, uh, I want to turn it over to you, but to say again, thank you. Uh, it's an honor to have you, and we look forward to uh, your your comments this morning. Great. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. Okay, terrific. Well, thanks so much, Charles. I really appreciate it and am and, and delighted to be here. Um, you know, I mean, Weedy as an organization and all of you as, as individuals have been, you know, just so instrumental to everything that we've been able to accomplish. Um, we still have a lot more to do, I think, as all of you appreciate. Um, and uh, uh, but you know, but it's uh, it's such an important community, and Weedy is such an uh, such an important um, organization that I really am delighted to be here and um, look forward to continuing ongoing engagement and, and collaboration with Weedy. Um, so I just you know thought I'd give a few brief remarks, and then would love to you know hear. I think we have the opportunity for some Q and A as well. Uh, the you know I think uh, it's one of the things that's really exciting to me. I mean I've been here since um, one minute after uh, noon on January 20th. So <laughs> as the Constitution prescribes, uh, uh, you know, I started here at the first uh, available opportunity in the, in the transition. And, uh, and, and it's a really exciting time to be here. I think it's an exciting time for all of us in healthcare IT. I feel like it's a really important and an exciting time to be um, here in the federal government and in ONC in particular. Uh, you know, we've, we've spent the last decade uh, roughly um, maybe a little bit more um, since you know since high tech and the you know the passage of high tech going through meaningful use investing you know 40 billion dollars or something like that in federal dollars um, you know and, and a huge amount of money on the private side obviously um, in terms of you know actual financial resources as well as the, the blood sweat and tears of implementing systems um, to build this foundation of EHR systems 
that we now, you know, sort of are able to, you know, sort of sort of pause and ask the question, what is it we want to do with these systems now? Um, you know, that that hard work, um, while there's still more hard work to do and there's still adoption issues and, you know, there's still there's still parts of the healthcare delivery system, certainly that um, haven't benefited directly from the, um, you know, from the, uh, the federal government uh, incentives. Um, so that, you know, there's still certainly work to do there to get EHR adoption, um, you know, at, at the levels that we want it to be. <clears throat> but in terms of, you know, sort of the, you know, the um, uh, hospitals and the eligible providers, the ambulatory side that um, that was able to uh, you know, benefit from those incentive programs and um, and do the hard work of getting that implementation, we're really, you know, sort of at, at this place where we have the opportunity that the foundation has been laid. And now we want to really have some deep thought and, um, and, and really sort of leverage and jump ahead um, in terms of, you know, what's the opportunity now for doing great things with those EHR systems. Um, and, you know, and I think we've, you know, sort of uh, spent a lot of time um, getting them to do the basic things, which is core clinical uh, documentation, core clinical docu documentation to support payment. Um, those things have to happen, obviously. Um, you got to have medical records and people have to get paid. Um, so those are, you know, really, really important functions, obviously. Um, but those are baseline functions, I think all of us would agree, and aren't really, you know, about what, you know, the, the hope and expectation is of, you know, what we're able to accomplish going forward with the HR systems. So, you know, a couple of things that, you know, that are really important, um, I think from, you know, from an ONC perspective, as we, as we look forward, is one, you know, information blocking. Um, so I think as all of you may know, the applicability date um, uh, for uh, information blocking rule was on April 5th. And so, you know, the rule which implements the um, 21st Century Cures Act that was passed under President Obama in 2016 is now finally going into effect. And so, you know, that's a really important milestone, I think, for all of us uh, in the industry to be able to now look forward and say, we need to do all of the hard work now of sort of changing the fundamental attitude that we have toward sharing information um, with patients, as well as with other authorized parties that, um, that uh, are involved in, in the care of patients. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of work um, on the ONC side with, you know, with stakeholders, as many as we can touch, um, to be able to, you know, provide education, FAQs, um, info sessions, we have, you know, virtual roadshows, um, whatever is helpful to the industry, um, you know, we're trying to be as responsive as we can. So certainly, I'll just take a little side note here that, you know, if any of you are interested and, you know, you have questions or you're interested in having uh, ONC experts participate in any of your sessions, um, you know, we're, we're more than happy to do that. Um, and, you know, both to hear your feedback and to hear questions and concerns that you have, that, that you have uh, about information blocking, but also to help um, you know, sort of educate everyone, uh, you know, about what the information blocking rule says, and you know, and what the timelines are, and um, and and what it means to move forward in this in this uh, new paradigm. Of, of course, you know, a part of what we're doing as well is just setting up the infrastructure to deal with, you know, with the information blocking rule and, you know, in the complaint process and, you know, the adjudication process, because certainly enforcement is a big part of it. Um, and, uh, and so we're, you know, working hard to set up that process that's already available up on the website. Um, if, if individuals have concerns, have complaints that they want to file um, or organizations do, there's, you know, there's, there's the mechanism now to be able to do that. And then we're working with our partners with um, in OIG and the rest of the Department of Human Services to uh, define 
and you know and get fully put in place the enforcement piece of this. I think as all of you may know, the uh, the um, the you know, the information blocking um, rule has you know sort of a multi-party collaborative kind of uh, you know sort of approach from the federal government side, where ONC is responsible for defining the policy itself, which was contained in the information blocking rule that went into effect you know on April fifth. Uh, but then we work with OIG, who is responsible for enforcement of the rule, and they've got a draft rule out um, that's you know that's available to the public. Um, we expect that uh, toward the end of the year, they will have a final rule out on the enforcement side of it. And that will help, you know, sort of put the pieces together then of the, you know, of the uh, the, the full approach. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're moving forward and, you know, working hard to, um, you know, work uh, with, with OIG to, um, uh, to help inform the industry as much as possible uh, about information blocking. Um, you know, we certainly know that, that COVID is, is very much with us. I think, you know, over the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of really heartening turns, I think, to the positive. Um, but, you know, but we also recognize that we're not out of the woods yet. Um, but, you know, but we decided that it was really important for us to move forward with the, uh, you know, with the April 5th applicability date um, and stay very close to the market. But we thought it was, you know, very important for us to move forward, even, you know, it had been delayed a couple of times, as many of you may know. Um, but I think that, you know, as we look back and think about, you know, some of the issues that we faced um, during the, you know, the, the height of the COVID crisis, um, that some of those issues related to lack of interoperability, the 21st Century Cures Act and, and the information blocking rule are specifically designed to address. And so that's why, you know, weighing all of the factors and all the different considerations, we just thought, you know, we need to move forward at this point because it is designed to address the things that we're preventing our being able to have as effective a response as we wanted to be able to have at the height of the COVID crisis. Um, so, you know, as I said, we're working very closely with, you know, with, with stakeholders and very much look forward to engaging with all of you, um, uh, you know, on this going forward. The other thing that came out of uh, the 21st Century Cures Act that has gotten less attention, but uh, I want to change that as much as I can, um, uh, you know, very soon, very soon, is uh, is TEFCA, the Trusted Exchange Framework in Cooperative Agreement, which is the the, the mechanism to have um, you know nationwide governance of interoperability across networks. And I think, as many of you may know, there's been a lot of you know forward movement and a lot of traction. Um, in, in nationwide interoperability um, with with nationwide networks as well as state and regional um, HIEs, um, and you know what we want to be able to do with um, you know with TEFCA is not inhibit that um, because you know there are many many ways that we could screw that up, and I fully appreciate that. And so we're working hard to figure out how do we have TEFCA be something that enables the market to do forward, that move forward, that leverages what's already been done to date. And helps to get it to the next level. And so, you know, a couple of things that are, you know, very important there from my perspective are um, are giving the industry a good timeline um, for, you know, for TEFCA, which, you know, which which uh, we haven't done yet, um, but we're working hard to be able to get a good timeline out to industry um, to figure out how we open up the aperture of interoperability so it includes other use cases. Um, because right now, most of the nationwide interoperability networks really focus on provider to provider exchange for treatment purposes. And that's a lot of activity. Uh, you know, Care, Care Quality does something like, you know, 5 million um, transactions a day, um, uh, you know, if you, if you do the math. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of interoperability activity going on, and that's growing, uh, you know, month by month. But unfortunately, that doesn't extend out to payers being able to directly participate in that or public health being able to directly participate in that or patients being able to directly participate in that. And so those are the kinds of things that we want to um, be, you know, have TEFCA be an enabler of as we go forward so that we have a you know, much better sort of roadmap for what nationwide interoperability looks like, regardless of which network you want, you're on. 
Um, the other thing that we're you know working hard on is you know is developing a fire roadmap for that as well, um, because you know it's very important for us. To, I think to be able to think about you know not only how the standards that um, you know that are very solid and um, and are the you know, sort of workhorses for the current interoperability networks. Um, you know, certainly those will continue to be the workhorses, but we need to be looking to the very near future. Um, I think as all of you know, you know, fire is getting a lot of uptake, a lot of uptake and a lot of adoption. And so we need to, you know, be able to, you know, sort of develop that roadmap for how fire enabled transactions become a part of, uh, you know, Tefka based exchange as well. So that's a lot of, you know, the work that we're doing as well on the Tefka side. Um, the other thing that I would point to that we're, you know, spending a lot of time on, which I had underappreciated uh, you know, being outside of ONC, and now that I'm here, I'm, I'm coming to fully appreciate is the you know the hard but um, but you know really important uh, uh, you know work to um, help with coordination of the other federal agencies. Uh, there's you know growing uh, you know interest in um, in health IT across the federal agencies and the opportunities that it that it offers you know from a public health perspective, from a real real world evidence perspective, um, and obviously from the you know the the, um, the value based purchasing and from purchasing decisions as well. Um, and there's just you know a growing interest among a number of federal agencies in this, which you know I've been saying is uh, both a blessing and a curse, um, because the good news is they're very interested. The bad news is they're very interested. And so you know, spending a lot of time uh, you know working with other federal agencies to identify the use cases, identify the business needs, and the you know the goals that they have, and how we leverage the you know standards-based approaches that we've put into the market um, to be able to help those federal agencies achieve. Um, what it is they want to achieve. And I think that that, you know, serves a couple of different, uh, you know, sort of benefits. One is um, internally helping them accomplish more um, through things that have already been, you know, sort of laid out and are already things that are, you know, that, that ONC, uh, you know, has been, is helping, uh, you know, push the market toward. Uh, but I think it's also a benefit to industry. Um, you know, again, my having been on the other side of this, um, there's nothing more frustrating than getting really different direction from different federal agencies and not really understanding how to, you know, sort of align best with the federal government when you're getting different messages um, or really different different implementation approaches. So we want to, you know, um, make sure that we're doing everything we can on the federal government side to speak with as much of, of, one, of one voice as possible. Now, I don't want to overpromise there because the federal government's very complicated. Um, but uh, but on the other hand, I think that that's a real opportunity for us to help to, you know, make sure that all the levers of government are pulling, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of going in the same direction because that helps with the, you know, federal government both from a regulatory side as well as from a, you know, its market day-to-day -day market presence to be able to help the industry move forward and give better guidance so the industry can really, you know, sort of grab things and run with them. So that's a, you know, that's a, a lot of the work, you know, that I hadn't anticipated, but is, you know, very satisfying work. But you know, it's also a lot of heads down, you know, uh, uh, really important work, um, uh, you know, to be able to do that. So, you know, how does all of this stuff come together? Uh, you know, I think we just have to recognize that there are going to be, you know, so there's a lot of headers and in the market. So there's certainly going to be fire APIs living in the wild, and that's, you know, that's that's the basis of RESTful APIs, um, and that's, you know, that's fantastic. That offers a ton of different opportunities um, to be able to have those kinds of use cases and rich patterns of exchange. Um, I think we're also going to see fire-based transactions and networks um, for scalable governance. We're already seeing it in the nationwide interoperability networks, a number of the HIEs. And as I said, you know, with respect to TEFCA, we want to be able to say, how do we create that roadmap as well so that, you know, so that those who are participating in TEFCA can see how that goes forward as well. Um, 
And, you know, we want to be able to, you know, move to, uh, you know, sort of a richer fire-based exchange for more sophisticated patterns enabled by fire APIs, whether that's living in the wild or whether that's, you know, sort of facilitating network-based exchange. Um, regardless, I think that, you know, it offers the opportunity to have richer types of interoperability exchanges um, that, uh, that we haven't really, you know, fully been able to do using the standards that we've been using uh, up until now. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity um, as we think about, you know, we've talked about information blocking and I spent some time talking about the compliance aspect of that. I really think it's important for all of us to think about the strategic opportunity aspect of that as well. I mean, I don't want to discount the fact that there is compliance uh, that's very important uh, part of that. It's obviously, it's a, you know, it is, it is a regulation. Um, it stems from law. It uh, has, you know, real, no kidding, civil monetary penalties um, for certain actors. So it isn't as if, you know, the, um, you know, the compliance aspect isn't important. But to me, the strategic opportunity aspect of it is just even, you know, that much more important as we think about, you know, what it means for organizations to be able to, um, you know, use the, um, the opportunities that the regulation affords to be able to do the kinds of interoperability that perhaps they haven't been able to do in the past. Um, and, you know, so what does that mean? Uh, you know, richer information exchange to support advanced payment models. Uh, you know, I think, as we know, value-based care is just critically important to the industry. And, you know, moving from basic data exchange to smart apps for case for care management task sharing and, um, you know, fire hoax patterns for risk assessment and questionnaires or for shared care planning, for example, are just some of the opportunities that, you know, that fire-based exchange, you know, offers going forward. Um, bi-directional exchange with payers. Um, making claims data available to providers, you know, along the lines of the data at the point of care pilot, I think is a really important, uh, you know, kind of use case that hasn't been, uh, you know, something that's been, you know, sort of pushed forward as aggressively, um, in my opinion, um, but is, you know, really is something that's uh, that's available now as an example um, that CMS is doing with the DPC pilot, but also is something that, you know, affords the opportunity to be able to have much richer bi-directional sharing uh, between payers and providers. Um, you know, more automation, to be able to, you know, reduce the incremental burden on providers and payers for administrative workflows, um, I think is a really important opportunity for us as well to think about for use cases such as, you know, prior auth and perhaps the eventual convergence of clinical administrative uh, exchange standards. Now, that's a long path, obviously, but, you know, but those are obviously, you know, sort of important questions for us to address. Greater transparency to consumers, providers, and payers for basic service level and supply chain processes. So the ability for individuals to be able to have the kind of service level expectations in healthcare that they have in other places, for example. So, you know, what is the status of my referral? What is the status of the prior off that I've been waiting for um, as a patient? What is the status of the labs um, that I've been sitting and waiting for? Those are the kinds of things that, you know, that, uh, uh, that people expect and, and get in other walks of life. And there's no reason, um, you know, using more modern internet conventions that those can't be available um, to individuals as well. And will hopefully be the basis for competition um, out in the market between those who adopt those things and have, you know, uh, um, you know a better experience for individuals um, and, and those who don't. And then perhaps, you know, have to suffer market consequences for those. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity to provide consumers with products and services that meet them throughout the course of their life journey. Versus right now, you know, the kinds of, uh, you know, engagement that we can have are when they are sick or when they have some kind of specific event 
and haven't really had the opportunity because of the high friction of paper um, to be able to say there's a whole world out there of engagement um, that thinks of, you know, sort of engagement in a much more, you know, sort of comprehensive way and affords, you know, patients and, and providers as well as other new stakeholders that are involved in, in wellness and, and, and care um, in, a, in a broader definition of care to be able to um, engage with patients in, in really new and novel ways. Uh, and then finally, the last thing I would um, just, to, you know, sort of mention here is the opportunity for thinking about, you know, how we leverage unstructured data. Um, the, the information blocking rule, as you may know, focuses on EHI, um, electronic, I shouldn't call it EHI, EHI. Um, and there's a lot of confusion when I say EHI because there's an organization called EHI. So um, electronic health information, which is essentially the electronic version of the of the um, designated, designated record set. Um, and in the first 18 months, as you may know, the, um, what is required to be made available for the purposes of information blocking um, uh, or for meeting the requirements of the information blocking rule are the USCDI. So that's structured data that's, you know, that's uh, some number of structured data elements. Um, and that's what's required to be made available. But after the 18 month period, there's, it extends to all electronic health information. And even within that USCDI, you may know that there are notes are a part of the USCDI. There are eight or nine note types that are required. So you already have unstructured data that's that's uh, um, supposed to be available through the USCDI um, in the first 18 months. So that's an opportunity for us to extend out beyond where you know the, the focus on structured data and what we do with structured data. Not to not to say that there's you know that there's not a lot more work to do there. Um, there obviously is, but for us to expand our horizon and to say in a world of you know, mix of structured and unstructured data, clinical and claims data, and data from other sources that have not been traditional sources of data. How do we start to really think about, you know, sort of embracing all of those data types and thinking about how that's, you know, provides a much richer, you know, sort of service experience for patients, but more important, perhaps, getting us to a place where we're able to have new and novel insights to deliver better care uh, to patients at the end of the day. So those are, you know, those are all of the great things that I'm hoping that uh, that we can really push forward on, um, you know, with the with the rules that we have and, and with the you know the new um, availabilities um, of you know standards based exchange using you know sort of modern, more modern internet conventions that will hopefully you know get us to uh, you know new horizons in healthcare that, um, that that I hope that you and I can uh, you know sort of share in and help to push forward. So um, we, uh, as I said, I'm you know, just really excited about being here, really excited to engage with the Weedy community and, um, and look forward to, uh, to our discussion. Thank you very much. Mickey, thank you. And um, I would uh, suggest uh, any questions, uh, please put them in, in for everyone to put it in the chat function. But I would like to start with, uh, you mentioned information blocking. Could I start with, do you anticipate enforcement will be based solely on complaints or does ONC have any other plans to audit entities for their information sharing practices? Yeah, that's a great question. I, mean, I you know, right now, I mean, we are, you know, sort of, we are putting together, um, you know, sort of our approach, but, you know, but right now I think, you know, the, the, you know, we don't anticipate um, that it's that there's you know going to be not you know that for at least from the ONC side um, you know sort of uh, uh, proactive auditing um, I think that you know that the model is you know very much a case by case consideration that you know that comes through the complaint process but that said I as I said I you know I can't speak for it's a it's a collaborative uh, you know approach where ONC defines policy and has um, enforcement authority over things that are related to EHR certification. 
but all other aspects of enforcement related to information blocking are um, are with OIG. So I certainly can't speak for OIG. They you know they may have different view on exactly how they intend to approach it. As I said, there is a draft rule out there that's out there for public comment, or the public comment period may have ended, um, and you know, and we anticipate the final rule coming toward the end of the year. Um, so you know, I think that we'll just have to see what's you know what's in that final rule if it speaks to that. And as I said, I can't really speak for OIG and how they intend to approach it. Uh, one that, uh, relating to interoperability, um, as we move towards interoperability, ensuring the, that the right records are matched with the right patients, or there's a critical element here. Absent a national patient ID, what role can ONC play in the area of patient matching? Yeah, it's a, a great and you know vexing question since uh, since the passage of HIPAA. <laughs> um, so you know there there are a few things. We have a patient matching report that um, that is due to the Congress that you know that we're working on now. So we hope to release that very shortly. So hopefully that'll present you know a little bit more uh, you know sort of context of the different kinds of considerations that we um, that we have. But I think that you know uh, you know some of the things that we are able to do. I mean, as I think as everyone knows, you know the the prohibition. Um, that has been passed every year, um, you know, since the passage of HIPAA is still in place. So, you know, so we can't um, obviously can't violate that. Um, but that said, I think we do have the, you know, the ability to work with industry on things like um, voluntary identifiers, for example, or different approaches for, you know, how patient matching might be able to move forward, um, you know, uh, uh, that isn't specifically about, you know, the federal government's creating a national patient identifier. So some of the things we're certainly looking at are, you know, are things like that, like, you know, there, is there a voluntary identifier approach? Is there a way of having, um, you know, better standardization of the core data that might be used for patient matching to allow algorithms to operate more more consistently and more accurately across different uh, across different domains and you know certainly the work that we've been doing with uh, with addresses for example and, and with the U.S. Postal Service just you know one small example of trying to you know work on um, those data elements and trying to get as much standardization of those types of data elements as possible um, you know uh, so that we can all move forward even if we're not able to get. Um, to a uh, to a nationwide identifier. <clears throat> Thank you, Mickey. And one uh, uh, question as I'm thinking about um, your your presentation, and then our next speaker, uh, we talk about uh, burden reduction, uh, and it's been a focal point in a number of recent ONC reports. Uh, certainly, a centerpiece of the ICAD report. Can you give us a sense of where you see ONC? impacting this area in the near future? Sure. Um, yeah, I think there are, you know, there are, there are a couple of areas. So one is, you know, we're working, we work very closely with CMS. I know, uh, I think Mary Green is coming up next, um, you know, on, on working on what are the things that, you know, that CMS would like to accomplish um, with respect to, you know, sort of payment models um, and, you know, quality measures, things like that. And then how can we best leverage the tools that, uh, that ONC has and the levers that we have to be able to, you know, do that in a way that, you know, that we collectively can work on being able to move us forward to get better information and, uh, you know, to, to help better inform those, you know, those payment models and those other goals that we want to be able to accomplish as a country, um, but that doesn't add um, unnecessary or incremental burden on, on providers. So that's, you know, sort of an ongoing monitoring and evaluation process for every new thing that we want to be able to do um, to be able to say, well, what's the cost of that from the user side? And how do we, you know, sort of figure out ways that we either minimize that or reduce other things um, to offset that um, or, you know, have a very clear 
you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, understanding of why it's important to add any incremental work, for example, um, to be able to accomplish something that we believe is very high value. So we're in ongoing discussions of, you know, on, on that on a very, you know, detailed working level basis as we, you know, sort of think through things like the U.S. CDI, for example, and being able to leverage the U.S. CDI to be able to have more structured data available. The, you know, flip side of that is that every time you add something to the U.S. CDI, that is work that someone has to do to be able to make that data available in a structured way. So we work really hard on, you know, figuring out what's the balance there. The other thing that I'll just, you know, mention is, uh, you know, we, we are also, you know, looking more and more actively at automation and how we think about, you know, um, things like algorithm-based approaches that can help with automation on the administrative side, as well as on the clinical side and thinking about what's the future of all of this um, that can, you know, be done much more in the background using, uh, you know, using more, uh, you know, sort of algorithm-based approaches that can help us to accomplish the same or even better outcomes, um, but without that, you know, that, that sort of specific work on users. Um. Mickey, one last question I'm going to from our audience that I want to squeeze in here. I've realized we're going a few moments over, but OCR uh, proposed to define several terms like EHRs and PHR, uh, personal health application, in its recent HIPAA NPRM. To what extent is ONC collaborating with OCR to ensure there's alignment in how these terms are being defined? Uh, so that uh, regulations don't conflict uh, um, in the future. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question, and and so we you know we work really closely with OCR, um, and uh, you know on a day to day basis we work we work with OCR. So we're doing everything we can to try to get as much alignment as possible um, in those definitions. Obviously, you know HIPAA is something that OCR is responsible for, but um, but we want to make sure that we have as much commonality across definitions. And I know there's. Um, you know, there's a couple of areas that uh, that we need to, you know, sort of work especially hard on. Um, one is, you know, the, um, you know, and perhaps the most important thing is um, related to uh, information blocking and HIPAA and making sure that we have a good understanding for the industry on where, you know, how do those two things line up? And I know there are areas that um, that appear gray. Some of them are genuinely gray. And so, you know, we're working with OCR to uh, to, fi- you know, to figure out how we can clarify as much of that as possible, as soon as possible to be able to get better, you know, better information out to the market. Um, one of the things that we've tried to do and, and worked really hard to do with information blocking is to leverage as many of the definitions from HIPAA and from, you know, from existing, um, uh, you know, existing regulations as possible um, in information blocking so that people don't have um, the experience where they feel like, I've got HIPAA rules and I have information blocking rules and those are two different rules and how do I figure that out? That becomes really complicated at times, but that's, you know, that's a lot of work that, you know, that we do to try to do that as much as we can um, so that people are, you know, still understanding how they fit together and aren't feeling like we're creating a whole new rule set for issues that have already been, you know, sort of instantiated in regulation. Well, Mickey, on behalf of uh, everyone attending today, our board of directors, um, our staff um, who um, uh, have a great deal of respect for you as well. Um, We want to thank you for um, uh, joining us and for answering these questions. And there may be other questions that follow, but we'll certainly uh, send them to you um, and maybe we can get your, your answers, but thanks again for your your participation. Know where I live. Please contact me. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. This has been the collective voice of health IT, 
a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.